Welcome to the Truthiverse. My name is Brendan D. Murphy. This is where we unleash truth and freedom with no holds barred, no fear, and no limits. Come and evolve beyond the matrix with me and thrive, not just survive. This is a realm of empowering, uncommon awareness. This is my Truthiverse. These days, positively charged toxic EMF are everywhere, but your biofield runs on a negative charge just like your body's cells, so how do you protect it? I've been using Organ Effects products like the GeoCleanse and Enerband for years because their technology addresses what others don't, that is, the subtle toxic positive charge field of harmful EMF, neutralizing it. Head to brendanmurphy.global/emf to learn more and get yours, and enter Murphy at checkout for 10% off. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this episode of Truthverse. I'm Brendan, and we are talking to Dawn Lester this week. Second time we've had Dawn on the show. First time she was accompanied by her co-author, uh, David Parker, and they both wrote a book. I can just make it out in the background there, What Really Makes You Ill? Um, Ten years worth of research in that book from both David and Dawn. And, uh, well, we can talk about that. We're going to get into a bunch of stuff. We're going to start with the whole Brian Artis snake venom thing, and see where it takes us. With that being said, Dawn, great to have you back. Thanks for inviting me back. Good to be here and talking to you. So, yeah, thanks. Pleasure. We've got lots to talk about. Uh, definitely, obviously, what everyone's on about at the moment is this, this major source of confusion and possibly huge distraction, but uh, it is the snake venom thing. What's, I mean, let's let's get into it. Where Where do you stand on this? I thought you know, I found I found Brian Artis when he was talking. I watched some of the Mike Adams interview, and I watched the Stu Peters one, which is very, very hypey, uh, very dramatic. You know, very dramatic background music, very dramatic sort of style of presentation. And they weaved in this stuff with you know they tried to weave in this sort of Luciferian, satanic, you know, biblical aspect, which I think is very actually very misplaced and misguided. But other than that, I thought there were a couple of things worth knowing more about and pursuing. Where do you stand on on this? Uh, well, like you, I, I found the Stu Peters. Um, it was called a documentary, but it was really just an interview. Um, yeah. I, I found it very theatrical, um, as you say, and it was all, you know, the drama of, um, you know, on the edge of your seat and I'm going to tell you this. It just seemed a bit too sensationalist. Um, and, yes, the whole idea of, you know, the snakes being evil or whatever, but, I mean, we know in you know, from um, sort of ancient ideas um, that it's it's a symbol of uh, wisdom or it has other connotations. Totally, totally. So um, that was obviously, again, a bit disturbing because it's always putting the snake as the bad guy, as it were. So, you know, that, that was a little off-putting. I mean, the, the first point really is the basic concept that um, so-called snake venom is responsible for COVID. And, of course, the simple thing is, well, there is there never was a, a disease, COVID. There was ne- never a new disease. So there's no such thing as COVID as such. So mm-hmm. what is he referring to that the snake venom caused? Now, I know he's... He's claimed that it's in remdesivir and he's claimed, or it's, you know, and we can go into, you know, because strange, well, the more I've looked into it, snake venom is used in, you know, pharmaceutical industry. That's not new. It's Mm -hmm. really not new at all. 
In fact, it's been used as sort of, you know, traditional Chinese medicine for thousands of years. So it's it's not a new concept, but it's even been used in the modern pharmaceutical industry recently for all, all kinds of um, uh, creating all kinds of uh, therapeutics, as well as antivenoms, of course, because, you know, if people are uh, bitten, only like with a lot of pharmaceuticals, the kind of the cure is can be worse than the problem they're trying to treat. So, um, um, but yeah, yes, I mean, the sort of the, the basic thing of, you know, it was the cause of COVID was a was a kind of red flag for me. And I thought, well, okay. But later on, he was saying, well, there are no viruses. Um, or, or, or maybe that was in the Mike Adams interview. So again, little little bit of confusion so i'm not really sure what what the message is mm, um mm. that was that was that was sort of what i got you know people were accusing him of, of pushing germ theory um but the more i the further i got into listening to him talk uh i think i think it was the mike adams one the more i realized that he wasn't actually necessarily pushing germ theory or even the existence of this particular so-called virus um he was actually pr- providing a, an alternative possible explanation for the, t- the kinds of symptoms that were being grouped under the category or the banner of COVID, which obviously, as you said, is a disease that doesn't exist. But he was talking about, well, what causes these types of symptoms? How do people end up like this and having kidney failure and, you know, pneumonia, all this sort of thing? Uh, well, yes. I mean, it's if it's uh, used in sort of, you know, some ph- pharmaceuticals, then yes, it would be the reason that people get ill but to say that it is snake snake venom I I think is um, rather sort of stretching it to a point that has yet to been shown to be the case Mm. Uh, again there's various papers that he referred to I mean there was one of them um, one of the main studies uh, is actually called toxin-like peptides in plasma, urine, and fecal samples from COVID nineteen patients. Now, that um, already sort of raises questions because if it's toxin like, it doesn't mean it's toxin pepsi- peptides. Mm-hmm. And again, peptides occur in the body for all sorts of reasons. Um, and it's it, it was actually very small sample size um, of so called COVID patients, and it, an even smaller size uh, sample uh, control sample so we're not talking about very many people but also the fact that they were saying that you know 20 of them were covid patients at which point you have to say well what does that mean was this a result of a pcr test which we know is meaningless so what does that mean or was it you know some other test did they have symptoms there are too many questions that aren't actually answered that need to be answered. I, I, I mean, Andrew Kaufman covered this particular paper, you know, analysed it really well and showed um, one of the main problems, which is something that I remember finding when I was looking at sort of um, study papers, you know, for the research for the book. So many of them, it, the, the conditional language is just amazing. You know, it's probably, possibly, might be, um, and... Oh, uh, this in the paper's conclusion, it says the presence of oligopeptides almost identical to toxic components and ven- of venoms from animals has been observed. Data and res- uh, results reported here suggest an association between. So again, this is all taking it 
away from this is what we found to mm. being, you know, suggestions, maybe it's association, it's it's umpteen steps removed, at which mm. point you have to say, well, this isn't proven. And I think it's a little bit presumptuous to say this proves that it's snake venom. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, that doesn't mean to say that there might not be similarities, but, you know, we know human and chimpanzee genes are supposed to be 98% similar. Well, I hope nobody's going to say, oh, well, that means that humans are chimps or chimps are humans, you know, because 98% is, you know, pretty, you know, pretty similar, Mm. but not the same. So again, you know, these are uh, sort of assumptions. And again, you know, it's just so many assumptions built into these different ideas and study papers that you, you have to, um, take a step back and just start looking at things, looking at the papers carefully, start thinking about things carefully and not just dive into, oh, it is, oh, it isn't, you know, just say, okay, well, that's what's being said. Let's mm. actually have a look at the evidence and see see what comes up. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, the uh, remdesivir is, is definitely toxic, but whether it's got a component of snake venom in it or not, you know, uh, I I don't know if it's been um, proven or if or if that's you know used in in its in the process of you know manufacturing remdesivir. But it's, I mean, it's it's certainly toxic. I mean, it's um, uh, it's said to inhibit viral replication, um, but it, it's it's regard it's called a nucleoside analog. Sorry, I'm just looking at notes here. Yeah. Um, which, according to the uh, um, the NIH, is a sort of it's, it's actually um, I think it's a book called Liver Tox. Um, it says these types of drugs are are generally safe and well tolerated. Um, and then a couple of paragraphs later, it says nucle- nu- nucleoside analogs can cause liver injury by several mechanisms. So they're hepatotoxic. At which point you say safe and well tolerated and at the same time can cause liver injury um yeah. and the liver is the body's major detox organ so if the liver's being injured it kind of suggests to me that it's you know highly toxic and damaging the liver <laughs> maybe not as well tolerated as they'd like us to believe <laughs> and and certainly not as safe so you know um but that doesn't Again, doesn't mean it's snake venom, not snake venom, I don't know. But it's it's kind of mixing up these different ideas, mm. causes confusion. And so, you know, you have to always look at these things from a sort of a, a you know, a clearer perspective. So not being, diving into it and thinking, oh, it's true, and mm. not just dismissing it and thinking it's not true. Just say, well, look at the facts, let's have a look at them. Mm. or let's see what's being set yeah yeah exactly actually i've got a couple of uh notes here let me see if i can dig it up quickly um <clears throat> so I, I had a someone send me a, a little blurb from dr zev Zelenko. some of his stuff is uh quite widely circulated and he was saying so um he included a couple of quotes from a couple of other people uh one was dr herb seligman who's an evolutionary biologist and researcher who 
has apparently tested Dr. Artis's venom theory. And I've got a little paragraph here where Seligman says, I couldn't find any meaningful similarity between the linear sequence of spike protein and any snake toxin. If a similarity exists, it would be at the three-dimensional level, but that would indicate a functional, not an evolutionary similarity. In other words, spike and the putative snake toxin might have similar effects due to their similar 3D structure, but no common origin. As said above, as it stands, there was no similarity between the spike and any snake toxin using the standard tools at my dis- at my disposition. Um, and apparently Dr. Richard Fleming's weighed in and said that he disagrees with artists' conclusions. Um, Zev Zelenko, basically his, his attitude to it is um, the issue is not important at this point. He thinks it's a huge uh, distraction. And I quote him, he says, we already know that COVID-19, uh, and I disagree with him on this, <laughs> COVID-19 remdesivir, yes, and COVID vaccines, are uh, yes, are man-made weapons of murder and destruction. So... I think that um, so I think Zev is on the right track there. Except I, I find it irritating that so many people who are so widely circulated and widely followed are constantly reinforcing the idea that COVID nineteen is this thing that exists and is hurting people when there's literally no robust evidence whatsoever that that's the case. Uh, yes, and again, talking about the spike protein, um, because whatever this spike protein is. Is it is intricately it is interconnected to the virus, which has never been isolated, purified, proven to cause anything. Mm. So, um, if you haven't got a, a virus, then what is the spike protein? Because it's nothing to do with any so-called virus. Because mm. again, you know, same problem. So that's not to say that there might not be a protein that they're looking at. Or is, or is it genetic material? Is it um, all based on the whole idea of the genome? Because that's what a lot of this is about. They're finding, again, genetic similarities, and we know that they're not really finding them. They're, they're assembling ge- genomes, and it's all to do with, you know, in silico, you know, data banks and, and piecing bits. of. It's like jigsaw puzzles, isn't it? Um, and it's very difficult to sort of pull all that apart. So it, it depends what he's referring to as the spike protein mm. and then how he's comparing that to, um, you know, sort of snake venoms. And again, there are different um, different ven- different snakes produce different venoms, I believe, and you have to have the right um anti-venom for the right snake bite although you know anti-venoms are pretty toxic as well so Mm. again it's it's fighting poison with more poison um at which point you have to kind of step back and say this this is very difficult but you know these is when you get to the fundamental points of saying well there's no covid there's, there was never any new a, a new disease. There was never a new disease. So whatever they're calling COVID, and you've you know correctly shown um, in your past work that the label came arrived years before the manifestation of this in sort of you know the end of 2019. Um, so there was already they already had a label. Now, just to make it absolutely clear, I'm not denying that people are ill. Some have died, even at the very beginning. But just because people are ill and died does not mean it's a virus or an infectious disease. So, again, you have to separate 
the the theory from what's actually happening and and look at what's really happening in in the real world look at you know the circumstances but while the establishment and even sort of some of the so-called alternative are still looking at disease from the perspective of infections while they still believe in infections of any kind then we're we're struggling to get the information out about how disease is um, produced in the body as a result of you know the body trying to look after itself clear itself out eliminate toxins and um, so you have to say what are the toxins now without I mean there isn't a you know if it's not a virus it's not a toxin you can't just replace one for another and that I think is is quite difficult for people to kind of come to terms with you know seeing that it's not another thing and it's always a combination of other factors and it'll be different for different people in different places so you know air pollution in Wuhan you know is would have been a factor I'm not saying it was the cause a factor you know yep 100% maybe maybe if people you know in that area eat snakes maybe there will be uh, they could have um, sort of genetic material that resembles snakes in in you know in their bodies. I don't know. I, I don't know if that's relevant. But I know um, that there is a difference between ingesting snake venom and uh, being injected with it going into the bloodstream. And again, um, that's that's the same for all kinds of poisons. It's it's very different. You know, very different because the the digestive system has the ability to process it and you know and deal with it in a certain way whereas in the bloodstream you're bypassing the body's natural protective mechanisms mm. and um you know the the blood doesn't like to be poisoned in that way and so you you know the body's going to react and especially if you know when they're proteins so again there are reasons that people will react to poisons being injected mm. whether it's through a snake bite or a or a needle some description mm. so um sorry that was going around the houses on that but um you know it's, it's, it's always looking at you know the kind of bigger picture um which is a, which is what... something that the mass media distracts people from very beautifully and that's why it's so difficult to get through to people dawn sorry to interrupt you but the, no, the, no, big, not... the bigger picture is exactly what most people have been conditioned out of ever considering because the media puts people into an extremely narrow focus, like at a very unnaturally narrow focus, and it says, here's what we're concerned about. Everything else ceases to exist. And then the establishment, the people who are orchestrating these manipulations and these scams and hoaxes have us exactly where they want us because we can't focus on anything but the thing they're putting in front of us. I mean... (sighs) Unfortunately, this tra- strategy of theirs keeps working really well. Sorry, I've let you continue. Um, no, I'd I, I sort of pretty much got round to that. But, I mean, you're absolutely right, and that strategy works because it, it's kind of embedded into the whole, if you like, education. Oh, dare I call it education? The schooling, <laughs> system. the schooling system, you know, not taught, you know, beyond what it you know, Well, the curriculum is, you know, different subjects and, you know, bits of, um time allocated to each topic so you're jumping around all of the time rather than really 
delving into deeply into a particular topic and being able to discuss and ask questions and really, uh, you know, getting some real sort of insights in into these things, you know. Um, so, yes, I mean, that's uh, people are not taught, you know, generally not taught to think, to think beyond and certainly to react. And I, I think part of the reaction it's just the it's just the result of the last two years of fear mongering that everyone's probably somewhat hyped up, and so they get triggered by another story. Um, mm. So I I mean there could you know there could be a number of reasons why this has uh, taken hold. Possibly you know they've realised that the virus story is 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 becoming a bit weak, and so they've planted another one. I'm not saying. Dr. Ardis is, you know, but something he was he was given the information that sent him along this particular um, mm. path, on this particular journey of uh, sort of investigation. Um, but again, you know, saying about that, that's what's planned. I mean, we know there's a bigger agenda behind it. And that uh, is possibly even harder to get through to people that there is an agenda. Um, and that's really why I took a slightly different angle which led to the article I wrote on it to to see how you know if there was anything relevant there and 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 it was quite surprising um although maybe not so surprising that there was a link they're trying to bring um snake bite envenoming it's it, apparently it's a disease and a, <laughs> and a tropical disease. yeah wow wow yeah, a neglected tropical disease. <laughs> yeah, they've neglected to profit from it. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's been brought back. Um, interestingly, before this whole, this whole, uh, that well, yes, the whole COVID thing, um, but not too much before that. But I mean, um, I assume your audience are pretty familiar with the twenty thirty agenda mm. and the sustainable development goals. Yeah, the third goal is uh, um, it, it's to do with health and well-being, and uh, for uh, for everyone to have access to medicines and vaccines. So that's their that's their goal. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. And um, the snake bite envenoming has been added to, or, or obviously not, you know, as a disease as one to be eradicated. Mm. Um, but interestingly that it, it involves them wanting to get into uh, sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah. Where it's less of a problem than Asia. Um, but there's all sorts of reasons why they're probably wanting to get into Africa if you want to go into that. But um, it, yes, it's, you know, when you step back, you can see there's all sorts of aspects to all of this. So there's a, you know, there are some, truths within it within it but not necessarily the way it's been presented but as mm. you say it's you know everyone get, keeps on this narrow focus of oh it's snakes snakes um without thinking well why why are being why are we being redirected into snakes and away from viruses yeah um why don't you because i did read that article of yours that you mentioned um and i wanted to say you know well We'll come back to the Africa thing and why they want to get into Africa, which they've been doing for a while, attacking the Africans. Um, but a while. 
So yeah, tell us tell us more from you know this article of yours. What do you think is going on there with the the venom <clears throat> the venom thing and this this market they're trying to <laughs> open up? Uh, well, there is um, yes a market aspect to it because you know they obviously want to develop their wonderful anti venom drugs and treatments and get those out there for all those poor people when. Um, uh, it's I can't remember these numbers. It's in, it says uh, in Asia, uh, up to two million people are envenomed by snakes. I just love this wonderful new language. It's like not like bitten, but anyway. While in Africa there are an estimated four hundred thirty-five thousand to five hundred eighty thousand snake bites annually that need treatment. So they need treatment. Um, so again, it's Asia is. Um, four times as as many but they seem to be as you say we'll come back to africa if you want to so it is part of the uh, expanding their um medicines and vaccines uh, and in fact actually the um uh i think there was a um uh, anti venom that was on the uh, who's list of essential medicines so you know um Again, it's it's regarded as essential, and maybe they weren't getting enough attention to it, so they wanted to pick that up. I, mm. I mean, I'm not suggesting that's behind what Dr. Ardis has, has done, but it, but the fact that it's become uh, such a big theme around the so-called alternative, and as as a number of people have pointed out to me, the uh, they're not being censored in the same way as all the kind of um, no virus type articles and and posts on these social media platforms are being censored. So, you know. Interesting. Um, it, yes. So, again, it's, it's why is there, um, uh, I mean, it's definitely about producing antivenom. Sorry, it was just on this, this particular article where they're, um, so again, it's all to do 2030. Um, the target is to deliver globally 3 million effective regionally specific treatments per year. So again, it is ramping up the delivery of um, toxic <laughs> substances under the guise of so-called medicine mm. for just, you know, another perceived, uh, well, like I say, calling it a disease, it's not, but another perceived problem. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> They've been really after um, the Africa has really been on the, the radar, it seems, of the the depopulation lobby for quite a long time. They they have gone after them with um, AIDS and not because, you know, not because there's an HIV virus, uh, but because they manufactured the perception of a virus spreading through the population like they've done with COVID-19, the illusion of a virus spreading, which is amazing how quickly people fall into the belief. And then they provide their solution, which is something that kills people and makes them money at the same time. So they, as far as the Depop lobby goes, they managed to kill two birds with one stone. They cull the herd and they make money doing it. It's a pretty amazing business model. <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, um, and it's clever trickery, getting people to think that they are being saved by taking these highly toxic substances. You know, I, I mean, you can see another parallel with, you know, chemotherapy for cancer. It's just, well, you know, it, yeah, but it, it, it'll cure me. Uh, 
um because it'll kill the cancer again it's just the whole wrong starting point to um to think that you know you've got to kill the enemy i mean it's it's the warfare model um but yes the the 80s because i i know in your um earlier um video that where you were looking at the timeline of all of this you know you referred to the kissinger document of 1974 so they were definitely looking at how to uh manage situations um always for the benefit you know for u.s interests um although i think we need to expand that to not just u.s interests but but to particular vested interests Mm. so yes this does go back a long time i mean the whole thing of the what's called hiv was only to do with testing and again this is just um uh detecting proteins um if I remember rightly, um, two of them are P24 and P40. Oh, it's weird the numbers for some reason. Um, that are, it's just that they've come up again recently, you know, all conversations about them. Um, and they're supposed to be markers for HIV when, you know, it's been shown quite clearly they're not markers for HIV. They're not even markers for disease. So, again, you know, these are proteins that they're detecting because they don't understand what proteins are and antibodies are proteins. So it's it's all coming the whole thing from the wrong angle and always thinking they've got to fight something, change something, um, yeah. You know, like with the um, like remdesivir, it's you know it's supposed to inhibit viral replication. Well, you've got to have a virus in the first place. Um, but as I say, these nucleoside analogs um, they include um, the uh, uh, forgive me if I butcher the name Zidovudine Zidovud anyway the AZT yeah um, and uh, again same as remdesivir. Um, Tenofovir, I've seen, you know, there's a couple of others on there. Um, um, Acyclovir, Adifovir, you know, these are all four different so-called viruses, Um, but they all, you know, they're safe and well tolerated and yet they can cause liver injury. So, you know, um, these are the kinds of uh, things that people get to see that are generally safe and well tolerated, but unless you dig deeper, you won't get to see the um the other sides of it so yes yes it's great you know poison the people and obviously the well if you when you want to get into the africa thing but there's a reason well there i believe there are reasons but of course for um you know poor african children who've been um subjected to vaccine life-saving vaccines i mean that's just heartbreaking you know mm-hmm. um when you no try clean water and decent food please um mm-hmm. but anyway uh yes let's, but no, let, they, let, let's keep going into the africa thing then because we're, we're right there on the we're already there let's let's keep going with it oh okay yeah um well um i from what i've seen um uh i suspect at, at least a couple of angles. One of them is a land grab. I mean, we know China's been trying to, it's, has been uh, working more in Africa. And I'm not saying that China's the baddie. It's just, you know, I we know these at, at a certain level, they're operating in, in tandem. And so the perception of, you know, oh, 
China's the oh no, Russia's the enemy. Oh no, it's China again. Whatever it is, these are not these are diversions, distractions. Um, but it is about um, resources because Africa is extremely rich in resources. Um, so that's one of the things. Uh, but also because um, again, the nonsense of so-called man-made climate change. We know that's yeah, uh, the climate does change. Mm. But and man didn't, man didn't invent that. <laughs> no, 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 that happens quite naturally. Um, but it seems to be going in the opposite direction from warming and mm -hmm. cooling. And that's creating different weather patterns that are bringing more rain to certain parts of Africa. And, and that, you know, parts of the desert, desert are, are greening. So therefore, they're more fertile, which makes them more um well, they have greater potential for being exploited. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's probably the best word to use for everything that's going on in, in Africa. It's exploitation. Um, so it's about resources, exploitation. And, of course, you know, if everywhere else is going to start freezing up, then um, these people want to go to a place where they can actually carry on living comfortably, thank you, and a nice, lush, tropical green uh, area within Africa where they've managed to push everyone else out uh, they can go and you know grab the land I again that's probably speculation but I think it's you know <laughs> it's based on kind of past um, past uh, sort of yeah, it's, it's not outrageous in the in the slightest. I mean, I think that was a lot of COVID-19. The, the COVID scam was oriented around buying up land for pennies on the dollar. You know, they've put millions of businesses out of business and just been able to buy that land like that. So uh, Catherine Austin Fitz made a, a good um, you know, case for that about the, the fact that while they were distracting us with this fear porn about a virus that doesn't exist, they were buying up tracts of land. And Bill Gates is now the largest owner of uh, farmland in America as well, by the way, folks. So, I mean, it, all of this is going in the wrong direction. Uh, yes, I, I'd, I'd heard that as well. And obviously, you know, that that works, what they've done works in their favour, you know, locking everyone down, destroying small businesses mainly. And then, as you say, take just taking them over and, um, and, you know, they don't care what happens to the people. No, no. I mean, all the Vanguard group, group businesses and BlackRock businesses, they're all fine and dandy. They haven't had to shut anything down. No, no. It's funny how they're regarded as, you know, the essential businesses and they're the ones that are <laughs> left to carry on. Mm. Um, so, it, yeah, I mean, it, that's, that's my kind of overall view. But, I mean, it, it seems to be... Um, substantiated. I mean, I, I won't read the whole thing, but I, I, this February 2019 article, it's called Strategy for a Globally Coordinated Response to a Priority Neglected Tropical Disease, Snake Bite Envenoming. Um, so again, the, the bit I read out about by the end of 2030 is to deliver globally 3 million effective regionally specific treatments per year. So to achieve this, and this is standard practice, uh, WHO will work to strengthen the production of antivenoms, improve regulatory control, and most importantly, rebuild and reinvigorate the market by ensuring that safe and effective products are available, accessible, and affordable. 
I mean, this is standard language that when I was researching for, you know, all these other diseases and things for, for the book, I mean, that's just standard language, you know, it's, it's all about strengthening, you know, the sort of, uh, the, the system and you know we've got to help people and of course everyone's signed all countries that are signed up to the who which is you know pretty much everybody has to follow these guidelines because they're all for our security and again the whole thing of global health security it's all supposedly to help people but we know it's going to do the complete opposite mm-hmm. um but yes i mean it's just you know this is all part of um the um, uh, you know the sustainable development goals. Um, so the, the bit before that was actually you know the concerned by the current critical situation in sub-Saharan Africa Africa have set a target of delivering at least five hundred thousand effective anti-venom treatments to that region each year by twenty twenty four. So again, this is all, oh, you know, the, the poor Africans, you know, they're, they're, so we've got to get, you know, these products out to them to save their lives. Um, it's it's to do with getting boots on the ground um, because that's the CDC's, um, their little specialist group that go out and look at these, you know, where you, where you have these big sort of outbreaks of infectious disease, so-called infectious diseases. And that's why there's a lot of attention being paid to emerging infectious diseases or what's the next one that's going to suddenly come into being, you know. So we've heard Ebola and, you know, Marburg, whatever, the HIV variant, which seems to have gone quiet. So I don't know whether we managed to stop that one in its tracks by telling everyone that's another con. But again, because H- see, I thought that was very clever picking on HIV because it still creates a lot of fear. Mm, yeah, totally. See, people hear that and they're like, oh, my God, I've got HIV, I'm going to die. <clears throat> still, yeah, still after all these years of it not being a thing. Mm. Um, I mean, the, the thing is, Dawn, nobody ever goes back to the foundations of, of the myth. It's like any religion, right? You know, you hear these, these proselytes, proselytes, sorry, and these acolytes, and they talk about it, but they never go back to the origins of the myth. And the, this was largely the responsibility of, of a guy uh, who is a pathological liar and fraudster whose studies were complete scams. I mean, just fraud from top to bottom. He was investigated by five different forensic teams of scientists, FBI forensics, you name it, linguistic specialists, people went through his papers top to bottom and pulled them apart and they proved that everything was rubbish. The The founding papers of the HIV myth were a complete hoax, but that has not stopped anybody in the medical or scientific field out there in the world from citing those papers as proof that HIV exists and that was how they just took that myth and they ran with it and it's made them millions and millions and millions of dollars and it's killed conservative estimates uh, 100,000 people who received the AZT drugs that were supposed to solve the problem that doesn't exist? Uh, yes, in, in the first round because it was at such a high dose. I mean, they've, they've lowered the dose, but that doesn't mean to say that those numbers of people who've been killed by it haven't kept going up. But, yes, you're right. I mean, that's just phenomenal. Um, you see, that's, that's the thing with, with, you know, within science that uh, when you write a paper you have to have a look at the uh you know the sort of 
what you're what you're referring back to but you don't check their sources you don't keep going back so it's always the standing on the shoulders of giants as it were except that they're not giants but it's I mean, you can understand to a certain extent that they're not going to start from first principles because, well, that would just take too long. And um, that's really not the purpose of the grant that they've applied for and the research because they always want to take something further um, because that's the whole idea. Even though every single paper ends with, the, well, we need to actually just, you know, check this, do a bit more research. So it's please can we have some more research funding so we can carry on with our work? So, you know, it's it's continuing, it's making sure that they've got a continuing career. Mm. So going back and looking at any original papers just, just doesn't happen. Mm. It doesn't happen. If that had happened, if that had happened we'd, we wouldn't be in the place that we're in. But that's why also there's a reproducibility problem within um, the sort of, well, certainly medical research or um, medical research I nearly said science but it's uh, but yeah medical research um, because they're never checked that's just always moving on mm. you don't get grants to repeat something yeah and especially to undermine the establishment's um, profitable narrative <laughs> his his name I forgot I was having a mental blank but the guy's name was Robert Gallo and he's still oh he's yes still, yes <clears throat> excuse me he's still alive and kicking as far as I'm aware and he's just this guy is off the charts dishonest. He is pathological. And um, the other guy who was credited as a co-discoverer of this non-existent virus was Luc Montagnier, who um, people uh, I think would find it very interesting to go and read any interview done by um, Dr. Oh, God, and I'm having a lot of mental blanks this morning. Dr. Carrie Mullers. Yes, yes. Talks about. He went and tried to find these papers that supposedly proved the existence of HIV, that it had been discovered and that it does what it says it does. And, and he went and asked Luc Montagnier because he was in, on this hunt f- to find this evidence and nobody could provide him with anything. And he asked Montagnier, Where, can you show me the paper? Like, how do you know that this thing's real? How do you know it exists? Show me the paper. I want to read it. And, and Montagnier, he said, you know, Montagnier walked away. He walked away from the conversation. He ended the conversation because he had no shred of evidence that he could provide Carrie Mullis with, who is the inventor of the PCR test, um, that HIV is real. It just It's not there. Uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, more and more people are learning about this. The other thing, of course, is that the um, announcement uh, in April 1984 of the, uh, we've, you know, oh, the probable, again, conditional language, the probable cause of AIDS has been found. And that was a press conference that preceded, at that point, no paper had been published. Insane. I mean, it's unbelievable. Before the paper was published. So, and so it hadn't been published, which means it hadn't gone through the so-called peer review system, which again is, um, (laughs) is, is not what we're told. It's not the gold standard. We're told it's, you know, um, it's been called, you know, an old boys club. Um, You know, you, you get your friends to uh, do the peer review because chances are, that you know it'll be favorable you try to you know not put it to sort of outsiders but at the same time it, it's a, 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 even if it wasn't that particular aspect it's very difficult to uh, for somebody to uh, present material or present a paper that looks at something complete in a completely different way or comes up with a completely different idea that is 
that challenges the mainstream narrative, um, it's difficult to get that published because the people that would review it aren't like aren't likely to be favourable to something that may well uh, end their own careers or end their own um, well end their uh, research. You know their particular research. Um, <laughs> it's contagious this um <laughs> their line of research that's what i'm trying to say yeah. you know the kind of field that they're researching in so if anything is is you're going to challenge them are they going to say oh we'll look at this oh this is interesting oh you know this is a different way of looking at it or something you know are they going to say oh, no so new ways new ideas new information new theories uh, it's very difficult for them to work their way through the system. Completely, completely. And that isn't science because science is about, you know, mo- going with the evidence, going with the information, keeping moving on. It's not dogma or it's mm. becoming dogma, hence the scientism. So, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a very, very badly broken uh, system, in particularly around medicine, because the the people who fund the research are obviously vested interests and they want to sell a product and uh, they don't want any inconvenient facts getting in the way of uh, the sales of those products. And they've done a good job of capturing the regulatory bodies like the FDA and other equivalents around the world. You know, they they basically are, have set up a rigged system. It's a racket and they can sell anything. I mean, literally anything. It doesn't matter how many people it kills. They can get it to market and they have a propaganda machine that will convince the people it's killing that it's going to save their lives. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Yes, it, it is interesting that occasionally, um, although maybe not so occasionally, but, you know, some uh, drugs, I, don't, I can't call them medicines, some drugs are, are actually removed from the market. And when you look at it, it's actually uh, a horrifying number because, uh, well, even if it's one, you think, well, hang on a minute, that was approved by the FDA, but we know they they don't actually conduct any kind of experiments. So you know they they have their uh, approval process, and basically the approval is based on what the pharmaceutical industry, the information that they give them. You say, <laughs> you know, has it has it have you done this this and this? And they go, yes, yes, yes. And go, okay, approved. I mean, okay, that's simplistic. It, it, I'm sure it's more complicated than that, or maybe you know who knows but again these drugs i mean you know viox for example that was approved put out as being safe and effective because they all are and then when they found it wasn't they had to withdraw it hmm. but the numbers of people who are harmed by these drugs that are withdrawn are far far lower than the numbers that are being harmed by this uh shot this injection that's going around mm-hmm. um and people are subjecting themselves to. It's yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. What do you? What yeah, it's a you, broken system. It's so broken. It's so broken. I dedicated a whole podcast to it actually a little while back um, about how broken peer review actually is, um, and I can agree with Dawn on everything she said about it. Um, just let me have a quick look at my notes here. I want to see if there's was there anything you feel like is worth revisiting around the the artist thing before we move on i mean i i thought the idea he had a few ideas there was like the remdesivir he thought he was suggesting remdesivir was made of uh snake venom 
he was suggesting possibly they maybe uh, that was speculative putting it in the public water supply i've looked into that a little bit as soon as i started to look i found you know you've got chemists coming out saying well if you did that it would be useless because it would it would bind to other materials and it would become basically inert and harmless so there's no real point in trying to poison the water supply if they're trying to do that um what else Any it would other- also be too diluted Right. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Where did you? Where did your sort of investigation into any of these other elements of artists' thing take you? Well, the idea that it's in the water supply um, really uh, doesn't seem to be substantiated. And even if it was, you know, it would be too dilute. But again, because the way that the uh, snake venoms are supposed to work to cause the problems either to you know paralyze their prey or so paralyze us or or even cause uh, necrosis in in the actual tissue around the bite site it, it requires to be injected actually into the bloodstream and and obviously that would be pretty concentrated now there are people who have ingested snake venom and been fine because the digestive enzymes would break them down so um the idea that it's in the water even if it is uh, there's no evidence that it would be harmful. Um, but of course, you know, he didn't make any mes- mention of the very toxic chemicals that really are in the water system. Um, you know, chlorine and fluoride deliberately added for one thing, but also the fact that there are pharmaceutical metabolites in the water supply that is not removed i mean it's admitted to not being able to be removed uh, through the water treatment plants they don't have the ability to actually remove these uh, you know the pharmaceuticals so whether they've their farm met metabolites that have because people have ingested them and obviously just passed them through and out into the sewage system or they've not finished their course of whatever it is and just you know thrown them down the toilet as well so again there's all those sorts of things there's all kinds of um hormone drugs and and you know we we know they're causing all sorts of problems the fast pharmaceutical industry effluent is pretty toxic can go into the water supply so there are quite a few other sources of um you know um toxic material in in the water that i think the snake venom is possibly a bit of, well it's it's a red herring i think mm. um now if it's in if it's if it's if snake venom is one of the substances they've used in the production of you know remdesivir i i've not found that i don't know because as i said you know the snake venoms have been used oh actually i did find some um i i found that uh some of the drugs that are based on snake venoms uh, I'm not going to read them all out. One of them, for example, is is captopril, uh, and it's an ACE inhibitor. Um, but all, uh, so these um, the six different drugs uh, they're based on snake venoms, which have been approved by the FDA. So again, you know, they are used in pharmaceuticals. But in, in addition to these approved drugs, many other snake venom components are now involved in preclinical or clinical trials for a variety of therapeutic applications. So again, you know, this is just more evidence that they are using snake venom, you know, whether it's um, these enzymes or um, 
you know, whatever it is, you know, aspects of snake venom as um, therapeutics. I mean, yep. it sounds bizarre to use something that's toxic, but then we know they use, you know, pharmaceuticals are based on petrochemicals anyway, and we know they're toxic to the <laughs> human body. You know, then so because they're designed to do something, inhibit something, block something, stop something, change something, affect something in a way to make it not happen in the body. But of course, that's misunderstanding how the body works. Mm, exactly. So, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. a quick rundown on, on that whole thing. We've got snake venom. <clears throat> the idea that snake venom causes the so-called COVID condition, um, that's, that's a negative, that's a no. <laughs> uh, the idea that it might be in the drinking water, even if it was, it wouldn't matter. Um, you know, the spike protein conversation doesn't really lead anywhere. What are your thoughts on summing up the, the artist thing anyway? Um, I think, well, the, the main thing is I think it's a shame that it's been blown out of all proportion. <laughs> to put it mildly, um, everyone's dived on it. Um, what sort of concerns me is the fact that it's it's gained so much attention, but it hasn't been the subject of so much censorship. When mm. we know, when we're trying to get out information about, you know, no such thing as COVID, infectious viruses and those sorts of things, that, you know, we know we have problems with that. And, you know, there's all kinds of uh, uh, well, yeah, censorship blocking and prevention of our information getting out there. And mm. yet this one, um, to pardon the pun, went viral. So, yes, mm. <laughs> um, that that uh, is a question mark for me on that. But I, I'm, I don't know who's behind it. I'm not talking about the people. It's just the information. Yeah. I don't know where it came from, but it, it certainly um, got everybody... Uh, up in arms, whichever whichever side, um, whichever side of the sort of fence they came down on, um, but it's the fear mongering, and again, it's just it's something else because maybe, well, I, I suppose if you think about the kind of restrictions and all these measures, COVID measures are being relaxed a little bit. So, um, oh, but but we're not allowed to actually relax. So here's something else to scare you. Mm. You know, I. I I don't know. But again, like I said, you know, the whole um, sort of in, in various other sort of mythologies, you know, um, snakes, not not just kind of, you know, benefit, but their um, fertility or a creative life force, you know, they're not. Um, uh, actually, I, I thought there was something else I came across, which I thought interesting because snakes shed their skin. Um, so again, it reveals, you know, a new skin, but it's it's a symbol of rebirth and transformation. Yep, exactly. Which I thought, well, that's really interesting that they want to then make it out to be the baddie when it may have completely opposite connotations, mm. or, or or may even have more power in in that interpretation of of what they are, that symbolism, that you know, rebirth and transformation in in a in a good way i i the way i see it you know it's a oh sorry transform and healing as well so again mm. it's 
I mean, you're going, you're right. You're going back thousands, tens of thousands of years. Um, these ancient cultures that preceded Christianity had their own um, ideas about afterlife. Um, they they did. They saw the snake as a symbol of rebirth because it sheds its skin and is born again, quote unquote. Um, it is a symbol of wisdom, a symbol of knowledge and healing, like you said. Um, and I remember Joseph Campbell commenting on um, in one of his books on the way that Christianity inverted the symbol of the snake and turned it into the the bad guy, the devil, um, which in itself is a whole other conversation, um, which leads you to the conclusion that it's just nonsensical. But his comment on the snake thing was that Christianity inverting it represented potentially a rejection of life itself because this symbol is a symbol of life. And he found it so strange that a religion, which is essentially a new religion in the grand scheme of things, a new, very new religion that was borrowed from all sorts of pagan sources and what have you, so-called pagan, um, and taken this symbol of life and turned it upside down and inverted it and now made it satanic and evil. Um, and he, he thought that was quite bizarre and, and an inversion of reality, a rejection of life itself. Uh, well, yes, I mean, that that's quite likely. Um, but we know the more you look at the more you study, the more you look at these things, almost everything is being inverted. So, yes, um, it's quite understandable that they'd want to invert something that's a symbol of, uh, you know, healing and rebirth and transformation, because that's where, you know, a lot of us are looking at this as an opportunity. I mean, it's it's horrific what's going on, but at the same time, it is an opportunity to, to change life you know rather than you know so we can move towards freedom mm -hmm. and away from tyranny and and it is pretty 11th hour isn't it you know that we are um, but see that's the thing when people are nice and comfortable you know they get complacent and you know little step changes don't get noticed because we know these people have a very long-term plan you know it's not a couple of years here and there or even you know 10 15 years it's you know many many years and they're moving towards it and you know now's our time to really say well no you know put the foot down and say no this is not where we want to go um so yes it, it's it kind of does it, i suppose it doesn't surprise me uh i mean i know snakes can be sort of a bit scary but you know uh, um but so few of them are venomous Mm. And so few of the venomous ones are actually deadly. I think there is only a handful. Um, and there are different ways of recovering from a snake bite without having to go off to the um, WHO for their anti-venom. So, yeah. you know, but again, it's it's always this, and again, anti, you know, uh, it's, it's always this, aspect of having to fight something to be against something mm. um and you know it's changing the perspective we need to be moving towards for you know as opposed to against yeah yeah can, can yeah, I sorry, ask? Long, long but yeah, go on. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. Um, so we've got about eight, uh, 12 minutes or so before I have to jump off with with Dawn. Um, unfortunately, but maybe uh, let me ask you um what are your thoughts on so-called infectious diseases 
of childhood and you've done a lot of investigation into infectious diseases what do you what do you think about things like when because these are common objections to when we say well there's no evidence of an infectious virus existing people go oh well how do you get chickenpox why is it when someone has a cold at home they get everybody gets it what about measles like childhood diseases right so-called diseases um patrick quantin's had a few interesting things to say about this what, what did, where did you sort of end up with with that um well because they're not caused by viruses that jump around so you have to look at them from a completely different perspective you also have to understand that um there are no diseases that people get and this is another uh indoctrination or you know from a very very early age mm -hmm. just from the simple you know oh don't sneeze over me i don't want your lurgy you know or your germs like, yeah, you yeah. Know. um and, and again, but it's also tied into people's belief systems. So, uh, and that's not to say, oh, it's all in your head. I don't mean that at all, but how we think and how we feel and, and you know, psychology can affect physiology. You can actually totally. bring about you pathology. Can. So there's no one factor. There could be a whole load of them. So, you know, children could be brought up with the idea of, oh, you know, um, don't get too close to me while I'm, you know, I've, I've got germs or whatever. So, uh, mm. so children are brought up with that. Yep. Also, you have to look at uh, environments and you have to look at what uh, food they're eating, what's, what is put in and on their bodies um, and in, um, you know, what's coming out of the sky, <laughs> what's in the water. And I don't mean venom, you know, all these different things, what, as I say, what they're eating, but also uh, vaccines as well. And or, or what, what are called childhood diseases are different expressions of the body um, he, healing itself, attempting to heal itself. So purging different toxins. And so there'll be different symptoms depending on the different toxins. So, you know, they'll come up in different types of rashes and lumps and bumps fevers or mucus or whatever just depends on where the the type of toxin where it's located in the body how it and how the body chooses to eliminate because again people's bodies are different you know we again we're, we're not just machines that are all the same so we're not all the same we won't all react the same to uh, whatever environmental assault uh, that we experience Mm. And it'll also depend on, you know, a person's mind, which might not always be the same within the same family. You might have different people with different ideas about things. Um, so nothing is caught, passed, got, uh, you know, you, um, so nothing is then spread around because these are conditions that arise within the body and then sort of express themselves. Now, children go through different growth stages and that may involve sort of hormonal changes and that may um, sort of make the sort of disturb the balance of the body and the body's always trying to return to homeostasis. So a sort of disrupted balance may just, the body may just be triggered to, to kind of, oh, let's do a detox for some kind of change there are certain times of the year where people are more likely to uh, undergo a kind of detox you know sort of spring winter but um, another you know what's the, the so-called flu season often happens sort of you know 
January, so soon after the period of um, people sitting around eating, drinking lots and indulging over the sort of holiday period. And then come January, oh, it's flu season. No, it's detox season mm -hmm, because, mm -hmm. you know, but, but also, you know, different times when people, have, if they've been under stress and they relax, then their body says, oh, right, okay. Yep. Um, now, you know, because while, while you're under stress and really sort of working, your body's helping you to keep going. Mm. And when you stop, your body says, right, oh, okay, now I'll, I'll have a clean-up, you know, totally. time to do some house, housework, you know. Yep. And that's why you get these kind of symptoms when, when you start relaxing. It's because the body's doing its best to look after you. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry, I've experienced that first does, does, No, does that come? That's a great answer. That's a great answer. And you covered a lot there. And I've experienced that myself, you know, a couple of years back when we moved into a, uh, a new place that we were going to live in for a while. When we got there, after all the, the hard work and stress of shifting from the other place and, you know, all the whatever else was going on. And I can remember sitting out on the deck, looking at this beautiful view uh, across the little lake slash dam and just kind of relaxing and going, Ah, oh, and then I actually, as soon as I ha had that sort of parasympathetic kind of relaxation kick in, I could feel my body start going into this kind of detox process where you get symptoms and that most people would go, oh, I've got the flu or I've got a cold, but actually it's your body going, here's my opportunity now to do the repair and healing work that I couldn't do while you were under all that stress. So let's do it now. And that's every time I've been sick in the last few years, it's always through exhaustion, you know, burnout. And then you go through this detox and healing thing. Like sleep deprivation is another reason why we, we have to go through that because you're supposed to uh, heal and detox in your sleep. But if you're not sleeping enough, then you're going to have to do it while you're awake. And that's really, really unpleasant. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, uh, yes, I was going to say I recognize that, you know, I, you know, I knew I needed a sort of rest. And so my body said, okay, well, we're going to throw some symptoms. Now you will rest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it, you know, when you understand this, it's so much easier to recognize and to then work with your body instead of against it, because that's what the pharmaceutical industry is about, working against these symptoms to stop them. Whereas the, the correct approach, dare I say, is to allow the symptoms, learn to rest, not keep not take something to stop it and keep going to actually rest as you say rest sunshine you know fresh air grounding plenty of water you know take things easy and recognize what they are and not go oh i've got something and then stress yourself out again mm, totally do you think just quickly um there's been a lot of carnage since they rolled out the the needles for C19 and people were getting sick in very strange ways after not just receiving the needles, but the people who haven't received them, they've just been around somebody who has and they're breaking out in all sorts of strange conditions. They feel like they're dying. I mean, there's a spectrum of, of adverse experiences and not through even physical contact, just proximity, which I've talked about. I believe there's a, a, an ex information exchange between biofields and it's a resonance thing to a large extent, but um, what's your your view on on that side of things as well? Uh, oh, I, th I think there's a few different aspects. I, I mean, yes, there. I, I think there's a sort of a bioresonance aspect again. I think some people are very sensitive to energies, and if they're in the presence of somebody whose body is has been poisoned, and you know, maybe their energy is is quite um, 
uh, what's the right word? Uh, yeah, sending out as kind of you know un uncomfortable. You know, they they may um, recognize that, and that could disturb them. Whether it causes something, you know, actual pathology in their bodies is um, would be quite amazing. I, I, I'm not aware of an actual mechanism, but maybe it's it is the kind of fear, the energy, that sort of the, the frequencies that are going around disturb people. They maybe then become more fearful about things, mm. and that could trigger some kind of detox. The other thing is, I. I I also believe people have had lots of different symptoms of all different types, always, well, not always, but sort of increasingly more because of the way we're poisoned more, um, uh, of all sorts, you know, losing sense of smell, taste, those kinds of things, all kinds of um, problems like with, you know, menstrual cycles being heavy or all kinds of problems like that. They've happened people tended not necessarily to talk, them, talk about them as much, whereas they're suddenly getting more, um, more exposure to hearing about it. And so they're saying, oh, yeah, I've had that, whereas mm. normally put, people wouldn't necessarily talk about it. And I'm not saying, you know, people are making it. I don't mean that at all. But maybe there's just a little bit more talking about it because I've noticed that the reports about sort of menstrual problems have seemed to have gone away. It's, it, I don't. I don't want to suggest. I, I mean, I'm. I know these things are real, but it's. It's almost as if there's something new to talk about all the time. Mm, yeah, yeah. So the problems have always been there. It's just whether they're talked about a lot or maybe not quite so much. But I mean, yes, there are real symptoms. I know people have had some really horrible problems, and um, I, I just haven't come across any evidence where there's where it shows there's a, a mechanism. Yeah. But then in that you that maybe it may not be a physical mechanism it may be more at, at other levels of consciousness which is a whole other conversation of course um but it's it, you know it's it's made as like i'm saying so maybe tuning into somebody somebody else is sort of experiencing something more sort of traumatic you know in so their energy fields are pretty disturbed mm. so they could be picking up on that totally. um, but i do know people who are unvaccinated who are around people who are vaccinated and don't experience any kind of effect so it's one of those it's not always the case you know and so you think well there are there will be different factors mm -hmm. yeah, as I say I'm not dismissing I'm not dismissing and I I, I certainly think there's a, a sort of an energy aspect to it but I'm I've yet to kind of really see how it works but mm. that's that's my sort of speculation that it, it, it could well be yeah 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 in that way i think you're right i don't think there is really a physical mechanism <clears throat> behind it uh, i think it's definitely an information exchange um and as you say there's lots of different factors that's why not everyone has the same experience and not everyone's affected some person some people have a horrendous experience around vaccinated people other people have nothing um it's fine you for them um but I'm going to have to let Dawn go, ladies and gents. Dawn Lester, where can people follow you? Where can they get your book, What Really Makes Us Ill? Oh, sorry, What Really Makes You Ill? Um, let yes. people know. Yes. Uh, well, the website is whatreallymakesyouill.com. That's quite straightforward. Um, and, you know, we've got lots of information, videos, articles, that kind of thing. Um, the audio book you can get from there, the physical book um, from the 
unmentionable um, <laughs> bookstore. Uh, it can be found online in various places. It just depends on what part, you know, where you live. Some places it's easier to find online, some it isn't. Um, uh, I'm on Facebook, although maybe not quite as uh, sort of obvious necessarily but uh, but no if people want to contact us you know the sort of the website's probably the best place quite a bit of information there so awesome so it was what really makes you ill.com was it it is indeed beautiful all right well thank you so much dawn really um, enjoy this chat and uh, unfortunately i'd like to keep talking but i can't um but I, I do look forward to chatting again at some point yeah, that would be great. Thank you very much. I've, I've really enjoyed it too. Yeah, I think we've covered quite a bit. Hopefully it'll help people understand yeah, and sure not be will. so scared. Exactly. Brilliant. There's no need for fear at this point. Awesome. Beautiful. Dawn Lester, thank you so much, ladies and gents. Hope you enjoy this episode. See you next time. Do you ever wonder how to accelerate your growth, healing and evolution without hard work, meditation or spending thousands? Over my years as a conscious seeker, I've encountered one DNA activation and healing method that stands out above the rest and does just that. It's a uniquely potent evolutionary modality that helped me break out of feeling blocked and disconnected, allowing me to unfold more and more of my potential and true self, as well as deepening my spiritual connection, enhancing my energy levels, and more fully activating my body's healing mechanisms. It also remedied a major but little-known energetic blockage which most people have but don't even realize. Now this convenient transformational method forms the core of my Evolve Yourself course, which has helped hundreds of spiritually awake people to accelerate their growth and evolution with minimal effort or cost. Learn everything you need to know at evolveyourself.live. If you're sick and tired of cancel culture and censorship on social media, please feel welcome to join me and thousands of red-pilled folk at my own independent alternative, truth.network. That's http colon slash slash t-r-o-o-t-h dot network. See you there.